May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. There is this Native American legend of a miracle worker called Glooscap who would grant wishes on occasion to persons who were in desperate need. And one time there was this young warrior from the Mi'kmaq tribe, Nova Scotia, who was, um, he was terrified of death. It was ironic that he was a warrior who was so afraid of dying. Every time he saw a dead body, in fact, he could only see his own face on the corpse. He was so, um, so distraught and terrified, he, um, he couldn't think what to do. So he goes to the wisest man in his village, and he says to the man, I'm terrified to die, um, can you help me? And, and the wise man says to him, I'm sorry, but it is for all men to die. Even the oldest man's life is like that of a butterfly's. We will all die. This doesn't help the warrior at all. He's even more terrified than before, more fearful. And so he decided to make the long trek to see Glooscap. Maybe a miracle could be performed. He arrives at the, at the man's home up in the mountains and um, goes into the house. He's preparing to sit down for dinner, invites him to, to dinner, and he dines with him. And after supper, he tells Glooscap, the warrior does, of his, of his angst, you know, I fear death. And Glooscap says, you know, it's appointed for all people to die. Uh, even I will die someday. Again, he's not helped by this at all, but he has a, an idea. He said, perhaps you could grant me the wish of immortality. And Glooscap says, no, I can't. He said, well, then how about the wish that I will live longer than any human ever has before or after? Glooscap says, that I can do. The next morning they woke, they had breakfast. Glooscap tells them to go down. They get in the canoe and they, they paddle down the river a long way to a small island an island where no animals lived and no humans ever came to visit. And they got out of the canoe, and Glooscap tells the young warrior, stand here, and he wraps his arms around him, lifts him up in the air, puts him down and says, your wish has been granted. Suddenly the warrior realized that he was no longer a man, but now a cedar tree <laughs> planted in the ground. And Glooscap says to him, people never come here, so you'll never be cut down and chopped into firewood. And you're granite strong, so no matter what storm comes this way, you'll survive. You will live longer than any human ever has before or ever will since. And then Glooscap got into his canoe and he paddled away. Fear is a paralyzing emotion. The fear of dying, perhaps the greatest of all fears. And so when somebody has this fear of death and they act Opposite that fear, we say these people are courageous. They're full of courage. And, and it's true because courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the willingness to act even when faced with that fear. Some people have become so um, enamored with the idea of courage that they do crazy things that, that cause them to be afraid and then, and then act courageous in spite of it. They will jump out of perfectly good airplanes. I talked to Brian about this, about jumping out of good airplanes. I said to him, if I was in an airplane and it was on its way down crashing, 
I would wait until it was about 10 feet from the ground before I would jump out. I, I just couldn't imagine doing that. Um, other people will climb mountains. I have a kid who's into rock climbing, and, and I, I see pictures of it, and I'm terrified just thinking about it. Some people will run into houses that are on fire instead of away from them. They get this, this rush, the enjoyment of, of facing their fears. A few years ago, I, uh, Abby and I saw this movie called Hacksaw Ridge, which maybe you, you've seen. It's about um, a young man whose name was Desmond Doss. He was um, in the Second World War, a conscience object, objector. He, he would not pick up a gun to fight, but he volunteered for the army because he wanted to serve his country. He just said, I, there certainly has to be a job you can give me that doesn't require me to pick up a weapon. And during his basic training, he had to still fire a weapon, which he wouldn't do, and so he was court-martialed for this. He survived the court-martial, but just barely, and was called by everybody a coward. Private Doss is um, sent as a medic to the Pacific Theater. And um, the generals in charge of uh, his company decided to take this ridge called Hacksaw Ridge on some island, which um, you'll check with Bill later. He'll give you the island. Um, there's some, and um, the generals are like, you have to take this island. And every day these um, soldiers would climb this, this ridge. And they would fight. Half of them would die. At the end of the day, the other half would retreat. And this went day after day after day like this. And one day... Um, uh, uh, Desmond Doss, Private Doss's uh, company, was sent to, to the ridge, climb the ridge, attack. And the same thing happened, had happened every previous day. Half the people died, the other half retreated at the end of the day. And as, as Private Doss was retreating, he hears a young man calling for help. So he turns around and he goes back and he finds him. And he carries the young man to the edge of the ridge, which was like stories down, like a, a massive building. And, and he ties a rope around his waist and ties a rope around the... Um, the, the soldier, and he lowers him to the ground. And when he gets to the bottom of the ground, he, he lets go and he hears another. So he goes back and he saves another person. There is nobody up there to defend him. There are no weapons. And in fact, it's been being bombarded by um, allied forces. They are, they're trying to soften up the, pe the Japanese who are still there. So Private Doss goes back again and again all night. He saves 74 men from dying. And for his courage... He's given the Congressional Medal of Honor. Some people are paralyzed by fear. And others find the strength inwardly to act in face of it. And in the Gospel lesson today, we have Jesus going to the cross. Jesus on his way, having been arrested, tried, and convicted, Luke records for us in the Gospel lesson today the final moments of Jesus' death as he hangs upon the cross. He hangs between two other criminals. Luke calls them criminals. Perhaps uh, many of us have heard translations um, hanging between two thieves. Um, Jesus is not hanging between two men who have been arrested for petty larceny. The word leistes may often refer to thieves, but it, it also refers to those who are brigands, those who are criminals of another sort. In this case, the only people who are crucified by the Romans are those who are acting in sedition to the Roman government. Jesus is being hung between two rebel fighters. And he's crucified. The most cruel form of torturous death the Romans knew of. It was reserved for the very worst, those who were uh, seditious to the government. That a person actually suffocates by the weight of their own body. 
And they hang there for a very long time, continuing to lift themselves up to get air and then falling back down by the weight of gravity, often taking days to die. Jesus is hung between two criminals, not between two shoplifters, two men who were fighting against the Roman government, and it was assumed that Jesus was like them as well. Luke shows us also who's in the audience, who's, who's there to see this. Um, he shows us that there's a crowd of people that are there. There are soldiers who are there. And of course, as I already mentioned, two criminals hang beside them. Three groups. The crowd of people, the regular, you know, average citizens. The Roman soldiers and the criminals. And the three groups of people all say the same thing. Verse, 20, or verse 35 of, of the gospel lesson, the people, the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. And then in verse 36, the soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. In verse 39, one of the criminals who was hanging there derided or blasphemed him saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Thrice mocked. Same accusation. If you are who you say you are, save yourself. Which is really an implied question. If you are who you say you are, why would you not save yourself? If you could do what you say you could do, why would you not save yourself? Hanging on a cross is not a day at Club Med. This is a difficult, painful, excruciatingly painful reality. And as difficult as it may be for you to imagine this morning, I want you to do that. Jesus is stripped naked in order to humiliate him in front of the people. He is beaten with a whip, a whip that has embedded in its leather strands uh, shards of bone and stone so that his skin is literally ripped off of his body. He is beaten. And then nails are driven through his hands and his feet as he is hung upon a cross and cannot breathe, has to pull on these very uh, nails to lift himself up to get oxygen. If you could save yourself, why would you not save yourself? And Jesus' response, you know what he says to these people out there, right? You bunch of losers, I hope you all burn in hell. That's what he says, right? No, that's not what he says. I almost gave you this thing. My, I had this Greek professor in seminary who would say to me, see that word right there? That's dative, right? That's dative, right? It's dative, right? And I would like, yeah, right. He said, no, it's genitive. <laughs> um, Jesus hanging on the cross does not say... I hope you all burn in hell. What does he say? That's what he says. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you can save yourself, why don't you save yourself? And you know this answer. So that he can save us. The door of paradise is open to the one who says... Oh, Lord, today will you remember me? The door to paradise is open only because Jesus would die. Today is Christ the King Sunday, the very last Sunday in the church year. 
This is the very last week of the year in the church calendar. Next Sunday begins a brand new year. I know. You say, why doesn't it begin in January? You'll have to take it up with somebody else. It begins next year. It begins next week, the new year. This is the climax. And so today, the climax of our story, the whole of our story, the whole church year from Advent to Christ the King, as we go through all the stages of the church year, is meant to tell us the story. This is our story, this gospel story. And here it is, that Christ the King loves humanity so much that he would die for us. Sometimes our story has been hijacked. Sometimes it has been. It's been, um, it's been hijacked to give defense for conquering lands and kingdoms. Sometimes it's been hijacked so that people could excuse themselves for building enormous fortunes or creating monarchies or supporting political opinions. That is not our story. None of those things are our story. Our story is about love, the willingness to die upon a cross. Our story is about forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Our story is about hope. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is the gospel story, and not all the other ones. Jesus came and completed a mission. And that mission was completed upon that cross. The death and resurrection of Jesus completes the mission. And he invites us to join in that mission, doesn't he? And that mission is not that people get to heaven. It's not that you and I get to go to heaven. Yes, that's fantastic. It's wonderful. But that is not the way he taught us to pray. That is not what the gospel says. Thy kingdom come. I have said this many times. <laughs> you know it. The, the, the mission is not to get people to heaven. The mission is to get heaven to earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth, just like it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. Christ did what none of us could do, that he gave himself for us. But he calls us to follow him in mission, doesn't he? If anyone wants to come after me, anyone wants to follow me, what do they do? Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Anyone who wants to follow, this is what we do. To give our lives, if necessary, for the sake of the gospel. Bishops wear red. You know this, right? Sometimes it's kind of purplish red. Um, most of the time it's supposed to be red. Red is the color of blood. And the bishop wears red because it's to be a reminder to the church that I'll be the first one to lay down my life for, this, for the gospel. Sometimes people are called to actual martyrdom. I read an article not long ago in Christianity Today where they estimated that since the time of Christ, 70 million people have given their lives for the gospel. <coughs> And more in the last century than any century that preceded it. People are dying every day, even to this day, for the sake of the gospel. So sometimes people are called to give their actual lives. Most of us won't be asked to do that. But there are other ways to lay down our lives, aren't there? There are different ways to give up our lives for the sake of the gospel. Sometimes it means giving up comforts and pleasures. Sometimes it's hopes and dreams. Sometimes we give up our supposed rights for the sake of the gospel. Sometimes we're called to forgive people who haven't even asked for forgiveness. Sometimes we're called to understand people who haven't asked to be understood. So I wrote it down. 
Who needs my forgiveness? Who needs your forgiveness? Who do I need to understand? Who do you need to understand? Who, who needs to be understood? This, this prayer by St. Francis of Assisi, you know it. Um, help me not so much desire to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand. Are there people in the world who you know that need Christ? See, I think one of the problems that we have in mission is we never invite people to church or, or invite them to come to know Christ because we just don't really know anybody who does it. We surround ourselves with people who think like us, vote like us, worship like us, whatever. You know that Christ doesn't surround himself with people who think like him or live like him or worship like him. He's around all the wrong sorts of people. He's around people who don't know him, people who aren't ready for the kingdom but are surprised to find it in their midst. So I wonder, are we praying for the kingdom to come? And are we courageous enough to make it happen? Scary though it might be. Are you the sort of person who left on the top of Hacksaw Ridge would be like, I'm climbing down, I'm out of here. Or do you hear people dying and run back to save them? And do it again and again and again. The Indian legend of the warrior who went to see Glooskap um, is sort of the exact opposite of the gospel, isn't it? He's terrified, afraid to die. Jesus purposely goes to Jerusalem, knowing what awaits him. Instead of turning into a tree, Jesus was nailed upon a tree. And he showed us there not just how to die, but I think more importantly, how to live. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.